Because of this and that, I am your host, H. Miller, and I'm joined today by myself. (laughs) Wait, does that mean you don't have any friends? No, I definitely have friends. I just thought it would be a little bit more engaging if we had a little conversation with our with ourselves um, to talk about this uh, this very interesting topic. So welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm uh, I'm I'm glad to be here. I guess. And uh, what was it that you uh, were going to talk to us about? Uh, it's about dangerous lost puppies, right? And um, those would be, well, it's kind of an archetype of male characters that shows up a lot, really across all different kinds of media, whether it's characters in books, TV, movies, and. These this archetype is highly appealing to females. the The name of it actually comes from a show that is nearly impossible to find these days. Uh, it's called The Weekenders. Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that show. That was forever ago. Yeah, and you cannot find it on any of the streaming uh, apps, which is which is a crying shame because The Weekenders is a high high quality high-quality show, um, but they had an episode called Party Planning, which was, so The Weekenders, for those of you who've never seen it, is a uh, four middle school uh, kids are the, are the titular characters, which is actually a word that I absolutely hate, so I don't know why I said that. Um, they're the four main characters, and it's Uh, Two girls and two boys. So the two boys are Tino and Carver. The two girls are Trish and Lore. And as middle schoolers, they've never been to like a real boy-girl party before. And they get invited to one in this episode, Party Planning. And the episode really revolves around their insecurities, um, (laughs) encountering the opposite sex in this sort of situation. And they try to teach each other how to be attractive to the the other people. Um, the other sex in this case, the other gender in this case. So Trish and Lore, our two female characters, are trying to explain to Tino and Carver the, the proper attitude to be, uh, to be an attractive guy. And they put on um, what really looks like a Twilight ripoff, although I don't even think Twilight was written when, <laughs> when, this, when this TV series was out. Um, but, you know, it's sort of that, like, dark, brooding, vampire-esque character. Um, And, oh crud, that's not even true. No, it's like, it's like, it's like 40s era. See, I'm getting my stuff mixed up. This is, this is what the archetype of Dangerous Lost Puppies does to you. Um, No, it's like, it's like 40s style kind of like, like not rebel without a cause but like basically anything that Humphrey Bogart has ever been in uh and he's like kind of given he's given the dame the cold shoulder and uh Trish uh Loris you know Carver and Tina were trying to figure out like okay why is this appealing and Loris says um that the the ideal man should be mysterious with a kind of pu- lost puppy quality, and then Trish adds dangerous. So Tino, trying to clarify, says, "You like mysterious, dangerous lost puppies," and Laura says, "And vulnerable." Right. So from this description of mysterious, dangerous lost puppies that are vulnerable, you you just kind of shorten that down. Well, yes, because if you think about the the mysterious angle, the the unknown danger that they pose, the unknown nature nature of kind of what makes them lost, that's the uh, that's the dangerous part, right? So, uh, mysterious, dangerous, lost puppies. Well, we can pretty much take out the mysterious and the vulnerable part. Also, like a lost puppy is vulnerable, so you can pretty much collapse that into just dangerous lost puppies. And is is this a kind of common uh, phenomenon or nomenclature for this archetype? 
No, no. Um, you can. I've Googled it. There's, there's pretty much nothing out there uh, that that actually uses this this name to talk about about this type of character. Uh, and I think it's really, I think it's really important to talk about this archetype because the sort of stereotype, right, is that women are really attracted to um, bad boys. Right, that's the kind of classical stereotypical. Oh, women, this go all hot for bad guys. But it's more complicated than that. You have to have these three elements of the dangerous lost puppy uh, in order to create this attraction um, that that you know seems seems to pervade for this archetype. That it's not it's not a bad boy. You know, if you're if you're just dangerous or lost. Or if you're just dangerous and lost, it's not enough. The the puppy element is really really key to to this archetype and to the reason why it's so attractive. Uh, okay, um, I'm having a little trouble following that, but can you give us maybe some examples? Try to try to shore this up for us. Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, I think kind of culturally, at least in the recent culture, the place where we see this most profoundly emphasized is actually to go back to twilight is actually with uh edward and jacob and how polarized people became around these two characters right like you team edward team jacob um and realistically both of those characters are dangerous lost puppies so i can kind of talk you through um why they're each that well i'm guessing jacob is the puppy right Yeah, yeah. Uh, werewolf kind of a dead giveaway there. Uh, yeah, so Jacob has a lot of puppy characteristics. And when we first meet him, he is like almost 100% puppy. Like he's kind of following Bella around and he's all like, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. <laughs> I don't think actually that's actually the description of a puppy, but whatever. Um, so yeah, he's he's definitely he definitely shows a lot of puppy qualities. Right. And so, I mean, then he becomes a werewolf. So obviously that is, that is dangerous. Right. Like literally both him and Edward, their dangerous elements come from this supernatural uh, piece of, of who they are. And, and it's interesting that, you know, Edward, Edward is very clearly lost. Um, he he has a lot of misgivings and a lot of guilt around being a vampire that's very clear that he's kind of not comfortable in his immortal skin that's all shiny uh, so he's definitely he definitely shows up on the scene with the dangerous and the lost qualities and Jacob kind of starts out in the in the puppy end and then kind of quickly acquires the the dangerous side when he becomes uh becomes a werewolf so that's only two out of three how do they this they're both missing well no edward's missing the puppy side right and jacob's missing the uh lost side have i got that right right so interestingly enough it's the relationship with bella that creates that third element for each of them and as as we go through and look at some of these examples it's going to be painfully obvious that a lot of characters get their third element through relationships um, that they have with other people, either through family or through uh, relationships with significant others, right? So for Edward, his relationship with Bella uh, creates that puppy element, you know, that he becomes really loyal to her, that he defends her, that he um, that he loves her, that he watches her sleep, which seems more like a cat characteristic, but the details. Um, so all of all of those kinds of characteristics, where we see his his love and his affection and his loyalty, those all come out um, through kind of Bella getting to know him, uh, and obviously he has he has love for his family as well, but it's not really the it's not really quite the same thing. And then Jacob, on the other hand, his relationship on Bella, with Bella, uh, it makes him lost. He basically loses his mind because he falls in love with somebody who's, it's an unrequited love. And then he's got the added 
like psychological impact of this hive mind that the pack has right where he's he's not only living through his own grief at not being able to be with Bella but he's also um and and he's passing that on to the pack but the pack in turn is passing back that you know weird love triangle mess thing that's going on with the pack as well um fans of fans of the book will be yelling at me their names right now but I don't actually remember anyway so it's his relationships with other people that actually make him lost otherwise he's fine uh he's just a dangerous puppy which isn't a great combination but you know, he doesn't actually qualify because he doesn't have that tortured element. And for some reason, that tortured element is really, really critical. You can build a character that's just dangerous and then you have a villain. And nobody's like, woohoo! And we'll look at some villains later and actually talk about how they're really dangerous lost puppies. Um, and and so that's how you, that's how girls get this rap of like being really attracted to bad boys when realistically they're not attracted to a true villain in most cases. There's exceptions, of course. But they're attracted to this this archetype of the dangerous lost puppy. So that's kind of how those come together. And I think it's really important, too, that when we talk about it, we talk about it as dangerous lost puppy. I know that's conventions of the English language, but it's really kind of that lost element that creates this fulcrum. Um, because... Oftentimes, as we'll kind of look and see through these examples, and I'm, I'm sure you can come up with some of your own as well as we go on. Yeah, I'm starting starting to think of a couple characters in the back of my head that that probably would qualify. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you'll have have some of your own as well. Um, but but in many cases, it's it's their being lost that makes them dangerous. Or it's them being lost that makes them a puppy. So that that element of being lost, of being outside, um, yeah, I was gonna ask you what is what what is being lost like mean exactly? So it it can kind of mean a couple of different things depending on the circumstances. Sometimes it means that you're separated out of your uh, community that you're kind of an outsider, a loner. Uh, sometimes it means that you're like actually psychologically damaged. Um, sometimes it means just that you're presented with something about the world that you didn't expect and it shifts your point of view and you don't feel quite... Basically, it's any situation where you either don't feel confident in yourself or the self that you have doesn't match the world around you. So that's basically kind of what that looks like. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, can you give me maybe one more example and then I'll, I'll see if I can come up with something on my own? Sure. That sounds good. Um, so one of the other things that I was thinking of um, was Angel and Spike uh, and that, that pairing because it's really, really interesting to think about you know, Angel, when Angel's introduced into Buffy and he has a soul, he Im basically immediately qualifies under the dangerous lost puppy, you know, categories, right? Because he's still a vampire. He's still dangerous. He can still be a badass. He can still fight. Uh, but because of the soul element, he is lost. Like, that's the piece that uh, really, through the way that the way that his curse is written, both there's sort of this weird loop going on, right? Because the curse makes him lost, right? He can't be his full vampire self, uh, and he's and he's plagued by the guilt of everything that he's done in his vampire existence. And that kind of that that element of being lost with having a soul allows him then to be um, to be quite the puppy. I would argue that Angel is very, very puppy-esque. Uh, in fact, Spike, when Spike is in Angel, like when he joins Angel the series, he actually refers to uh, Angel at, at, at some juncture, I think it's fairly early on in the series running, as a big fluffy puppy. And I think that's pretty accurate. 
Um, so being lost kind of kind of enhances those puppy characteristics. And then because of the nature of the curse, because of the nature of the curse, when he, you know, when he starts to become found, right, through his relationship with Buffy and their love, uh, the curse kicks in and makes him more dangerous, which makes him more lost. So you have this really interesting cycle that's going on there through the way that that, that character is written. That basically means he will eternally be a dangerous lost puppy, right? Or, or he's just dangerous. Like, those are your options. You either have Angelus and he's dangerous, or you have Angel and he's a dangerous lost puppy. Like, that's it. Um, so I thought that was really, really interesting the way that they, they did that and the way that interaction works. Uh, and when Spike came along, I was actually listening to a podcast that Michael Rosenbaum, who played, most famously played Lex Luthor, he's done a lot of other things as well, um, but played Lex Luthor. And he has a podcast called... Um, inside of you which is brilliant go check it out and he was talking to James uh, Marsterson who played Spike and James was kind of relating this story of when he was first on Buffy and that he and Josh Whedon got into a bit of an altercation because um, Josh Joss basically didn't want Spike to continue. He wanted Spike to to be in the picture for five episodes and then he wanted to kill off Spike. And Spike, after his first like couple of episodes, was such a fan favorite, such a huge hit that, you know, the producers and the network and everybody was kind of like, well, you can't you can't kill him off. Like, no, don't do it. And so I immediately went okay, that means that they built a dangerous lost puppy. That poor, poor Josh Wheaton had tried to design a character who was evil and bad and could be this representation of pure evil and that he could defeat evil and kill it off. But what he'd really made was a dangerous lost puppy. So I went back and watched the first episode that Spike uh, appears in, which is in the second, second season. It's the third episode and it's called uh, School Hard. And sure enough, sure enough, they they create a dangerous lost puppy in that first episode. And it's really interesting because, you know, we if you only if you only saw the part of the episode that involves the Scooby gang. So you mean like G- Giles and Buffy and Xander and Willow and Cordelia and everybody. Right. Right. So if you only watch the part of the episode with them, you see Spike as pure evil. He is just dangerous. He tortures people with railroad spikes. That's how he got his nickname. He uh, crashes the parent-teacher conference and tries to kill Buffy as well as anybody else he can get his hands on. Like, definitely, absolutely, unequivocally pure evil. But the thing is, half of the episode is told basically from his perspective. And then we get to see these other elements. We get to see how incredibly loyal and doting and concerned and loving he is to um, Drusilla, who is clearly off her rocker. Like, she's really clearly influencing him in negative ways. And we even find out through their interaction that it wasn't his idea to kill the other Slayers, right? He gets billed by Giles as this, you know, great Slayer slasher. Uh, But we find out that, like, yeah, he doesn't really care. (laughs) According to the way the first episode's written, he doesn't even care about killing the Slayer. He's just doing that to uh, appease, uh, appease Drusilla. So we, you know, and then, and then we see him and him and Angel interact and we realize how, how abandoned he feels by Angelus, who's his creator. And so you immediately see, okay, he's, he's a puppy. Um, He's a puppy in this weird, really messed up love relationship that he has. He is certainly dangerous, but he's also lost He's lost his sense of self. He's trying to reclaim it through all of these actions that he's taken, through all these horrible things that he's done. 
And we also get to see something else that you tend to see in Dangerous Lost Puppies, which is that he's highly intelligent. Dangerous Lost Puppies usually, you know, usually have a pretty good, like, kind of street smart or intelligence. Um, They don't tend to suffer fools is another common characteristic. And and he will not suffer any of the foolish vampires around him. He's like, everybody else around here is just like an absolute moron. Uh, and and he basically takes them all out so that he can be in control and run things the way that, that he wants to run them. Um, so, so that Drusilla can get better. So, yeah. Sorry, Whedon, you might have... You might have created a character that was immediately a dangerous lost puppy and therefore could not be killed off because we don't do that. <laughs> we don't we don't do a good job of killing people off. Okay. Uh, I think I got it now. I mean, after all the all the vampire references, <laughs> I didn't realize I did that. Yeah, we did two vampires in a row. So I'm gonna take it in a different direction. Can we talk superheroes? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm a bit of a Marvel buff. I mean, you know, at least decent decent enough. So I think, can we do like another pairing? Like, can we do like, I mean like Loki, right? He's, he's such a huge fan favorite. I'm assuming he has to be a dangerous lost puppy. Well, take it through, see what you get. Okay, so... I mean, well, when we first meet Loki, like, up through the end of Avengers, he's pretty spiteful and rotten and terrible. That's true. I'm trying to think. I mean, but after that, right, he has, like, in the dark world and stuff, he fake dies. And then later he actually dies. And and then, like, with the whole TVA and everything, that's a lot of, like, like, he's he's lost because he's like against the system but he's got that relationship with the other loki which is slightly creepy but also really sweet and so that would be kind of like the puppy side and i mean obviously he's a he's a trickster and and a fighter and yeah so i guess yeah through kind of like through thor the dark world and then ragnarok and then kind of like end game he's he kind of like goes on this like redemption arc I, I guess redemption arcs would be a big thing with dangerous lost puppies yeah definitely I mean it's pretty rare that a dangerous lost puppy starts out their story with all those characteristics like unlike Spike where he just becomes kind of more puppyish over time um like a lot of times they're they're flat out missing one of those three elements when you when you first meet them and then through their character arc development they they pick up those other elements right so basically he just starts out as dangerous well but i guess the whole fact that like he he grew up under the assumption that he was an asgardian but he wasn't he was a frost giant that would make him lost Mm mm-hmm exactly okay so and he finds that out in like the first movie like when we very first meet him so he's already dangerous and lost and then he just kind of has to get the the puppy element through i i I guess really his relationship with his brother Mm -hmm. yeah it's actually interesting though because even in the first movie um which like kind of preparing to go talk to this talk to you about this that's one of the things I did was I went and rewatched the first the first movie and one of the things I noticed was that you get to about halfway through the movie and all of a sudden there's this kind of shift for both Loki and for Thor and they happen simultaneously and for Loki I think Loki's moment happens first. For Loki, it's the moment when his father collapses in the, like, treasure room when he calls his father out for uh, having lied to him all those years about, you know, being being a son of Asgard. 
and his father collapses. And there's this very brief moment where you see in Loki real kind of shock and and panic and guilt and that's you know there's a couple moments when he's a kid where you can kind of see a little puppiness but when his father falls down in front of him that's that's the first moment where you really realize that that Loki cares deeply about his family and that it's only because he's so lost that he's always felt out of place that he's always felt like he was legitimately the better heir and then he finds out that he's not the heir at all that he is dangerous he's dangerous because he's lost and so we get this moment of him being a puppy and that and we see other moments like that throughout where he doesn't really want to do the things that he's doing he's doing them because they're the best decision he can make and and so there we start to see yeah that that dangerous lost puppy element kind of coming kind of coming together uh and i think it's like in the next scene basically that we take thor so okay so this is i don't want to steal all of your thunder (laughs) oh that's a bad thor joke um you want you want to talk me through i don't know what that musical interlude was folks um you want to talk me through thor yeah okay so um, I guess the very beginning, Thor, like, he's, he's definitely not lost. Like, he's really self-assured. Like, that's actually the problem. Yeah. So, Thor is, he's dangerous. Like, he goes to Jotunheim and basically starts to, tries to start a war. So, he's definitely dangerous. And... He's, he's, he's definitely a puppy. Like he's full of like fun and energy and he's super loyal to his family and, um, very protective of Asgard. So I guess he's just a dangerous puppy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And unlike our dangerous puppy in, in, in team Jacob, which I'm definitely team Jacob, he really is a problem as a dangerous puppy. Because he's, literally his problem is that he's not lost, right? Like you said, he's too self-assured. Right, right. So is there, a, is there a minute, I mean, I guess his whole process, right, was about the fact that he had to sort of like lose himself to find himself. Like the first Thor is really about him becoming the hero that he needs to be and the leader that he needs to be. And to do that, he has to, he has to fail and he has to lose, lose everything and, and become isolated and go to this new world and lose his powers and um, kind of go through that whole transformation. Right. Like that is enti- the, the entire point of that movie is to make him basically lost. It's to turn him into a dangerous lost puppy. Uh, you might argue that he doesn't stay lost. <laughs> um, but it, at least we, you know, we get to see that in the arc that he goes through. And the very first moment that we really sense that he is... That he is willing to let his worldview shift is in, I think it's the next scene. I think it's the scene after Odin collapses. He's, uh, anyway, he's in the diner and it's when he, you know, like, this is like trailer fodder, right? When he throws the the cup on the floor in the diner because he wants more uh, coffee and Jane asks him very nicely to, to not do that. And he, and he agrees. And you can see that shift. You can see him suddenly start to go, oh, maybe I don't know the right thing to do in every instance on this planet. Um, And again, it's through his relationship with somebody else, through his, you know, burgeoning love relationship with Jane, that he is able to become lost and then, and then work himself back through to finding himself again. So... Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that they sort of did those two moments. Because uh, it's a while later in the movie before Thor actually, like, really loses himself and really gets back. You know, he hasn't even, like, gone and tried to pick up Mjolnir yet. So it's, yeah, it's still a long, it's still a long haul. <laughs> so, yeah. So, 
can I can I just I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around thinking about like Loki and Tom Hiddleston. Mm. Mm-hmm. It kind of seems to me like you know you have all these all these dangerous lost puppies in in film but the the actors who play them right are not dangerous lost puppies right for the most part yeah is there an exception to that yeah i'm i'm pretty i'm you know i can't swear to this obviously cuz i don't i don't know any of these people personally but i have a sneaking suspension suspicion that jensen ackles who plays dean is a dangerous lost puppy um so yeah Ooh, supernatural. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good one. We should talk about that. But can, can I? We just go back to Hilston for a second. Yeah, of course. So, Tom Hiddleston is not a dangerous lost puppy. Nope. At least, at least again, don't don't think so. So, for for him, does does that does that add to the attractiveness? Do you think? I would kind of hazard a guess, yes, you know, because like Loki is highly entertaining and very attractive, and he is a dangerous lost puppy, or at least he he, he gets there through the progression of his characterization. But I think it's the juxtaposition between him, who I would argue you do not want to form a real actual relationship with, and Tom Hiddleston, who genuinely seems like a very decent human being that you could cohabitate with. Um, I think having that having that polarization actually makes makes the character more appealing, I guess. Like kind of helps helps people justify their attractedness to him. Um I think you could say the same too for Bucky Barnes and Sebastian Stan. I think that's another one where like like Bucky is a full-on dangerous lost puppy. Um you know, he was he was a puppy, you know, go before, you know, the war effort even began. Um he's certainly certainly a legitimate soldier, so he's sort of a dangerous puppy through that end, but that lost element that he goes to like I would argue that Bucky is only minimally attractive until he turns into the Winter Soldier and then because he's lost because he's endured all this physiological and psychological trauma his level of attractiveness just goes through the freaking roof uh, because now he is truly the full package he's a dangerous lost puppy and and even looking at you know the the recent series um, where Falcon becomes Captain America and the Winter Soldier kind of like is retired and then comes back out and kind of retires again and try you know, tries to deal with some of his psychological trauma and stuff in a slightly healthier way, you still see you know, you still are dealing with somebody who'd be very difficult to cohabitate with. Um, and so Sebastian stands kind of like I don't know, for lack of better terminology, extra puppiness sort of like balances that out a little bit. So yeah, I think that's I think that's a big factor. Okay, so it's it's kind of helps us justify our our choices if we can look at the actor and be like, oh well, that's that's a decent person at least that plays him. Yeah, we we kind of you know we kind of we tend to mush actors and characters together, right? Like that's that's human nature because we see this person portraying this thing so often that you know um so yeah i think those i think those like subconscious psychological combinations really actually help that out um help you justify that attraction to somebody who you probably shouldn't let through the front door okay so we can can we talk about can we talk about supernatural though really quickly because because you brought up you brought up dean um, from Supernatural, and and obviously Sam would would be the pair. We're doing a lot of pairs today. Yeah, I, I guess I guess it turns out there's a lot of pairs. Um, I don't know. Maybe we can figure out why that is in a second. But yeah, what did you want to say about Dean? Well, well, actually, kind of kind of related to that to that pairing thing, right? Like Sam is definitely the more puppy esque of the two, 
and that pattern does seem to hold right like Thor is the more puppy version Angel's the more puppy version Jacob's the more puppy version there's like always a there's always like a more puppy centric version and then sort of like a a darker more sarcastic sardonic like character yeah I guess that's the pretty much the way those pairings work so but it was interesting kind of thinking about about that with with Dean and and Sam because I, I recently went back and like started watching the the beginning of those episodes and I remember watching like the very first episode and being like being like man I don't I don't remember Dean being such a jerk like he's such a jerk in the first couple episodes and then I think it's like it's like episode I think it's the third one. It's the one it's the one where like the water has a spirit in it and the water keeps like drowning everybody because the spirit in the water is this like young kid who was accidentally but kind of on purpose drowned when a bunch of like young boys held his head underwater. Um I think it was called hang on. I I think I can look it up. Yeah, so in I remember that episode. Yeah, I remember that episode being like a real turning point for for Dean um in his in his um in his characterization. Okay, it was episode 3. It's called it's called Dead in the Water. I could have put that one together. Um but yeah, like that's the time where I guess I really start to see like his how lost he is and how much of a puppy he is because in that one, he has to, like, talk to a little kid who's been a witness to this, like, haunting of the lake. And the only way he can he can talk to this kid who's, like, basically been scared into not speaking is to share with him his emotional trauma around his mother's murder by the demon. And so he's, like, really forced to open up and really forced to connect with this kid in a really, really deep way. And, and kind of go back to that childhood trauma. Right, right. So yeah, you so you do see you see where he's lost, right? You see that psychological damage, you see the you see those kind of puppy element of him where he's really caring and and giving to this kid. And and yeah, and I remember I remember I think in the first season there's there's a few different episodes that kind of like do that. Like they have to go back to their old house, right? Yes, yes. They have to go back to their old house and like stop a haunting there. And, like, Sam sees his mom. And, I, it's like, for Sam, it's the reverse, right? Like, he's always trying to prove that he's strong enough, that he's tough enough, that he's basically, like, dangerous enough. Like, that's always, that he's powerful enough. That's always his storyline, right? Yeah, so Dean, we're always trying to get to be sensitive enough. And Sam, you know, puppy enough. And Sam, we're always trying to get to be, to be dangerous enough. Um, they're both pretty, pretty decently lost. Although I think I would argue that Dean is more lost than Sam. Yeah, well, I mean, because Sam always knows what he wants to do, which is not be a hunter. And like his, his like being lost is basically that he keeps having to do the hunter stuff, even though he doesn't want to. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely would agree with, uh, with, with that, like 100%. Um, so, yeah. Well, this is really interesting. Who's who's your favorite like dangerous lost puppy? Mine, um, I would I would say mine is probably Troy, uh, from Fear of the Walking Dead season three. If you haven't seen it, go seen it, go seen it, go see it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, part of the reason is he's played by one of my favorite actors who. Um, who who has somehow managed to land a lot of really interesting, dangerous lost puppy roles, uh, which is the the actor's name is Daniel Sharman, and he did like Isaac and Teen Wolf, and he was um, he was he was Troy in Fear of the Walking Dead. He um, he was just like he's been in all kinds of things. He was a weeping monk in Cursed, right? Like all these things where you're like that character is definitely screwed up um usually through very very legitimate like there's a really excellent rationale for why the character is as messed up as they are 
And so they're, they put a lot of, his characters have a lot of heavy emphasis on the lost. They are always very lost. Um, and then they're dangerous and they're puppies. And I, I don't know why, but I do tend to like characters that are a little more on the like lost slash dangerous side and a little less on the puppy side. So like, I prefer Spike. Um, I prefer Dean over Sam. Like, you know, so that's kind of my, that's kind of my go-to way. Although I do, I, I am Team Jacob, 100%. Edward is annoying. <laughs> Which usually, like, usually the more puppy characters are the more annoying ones for me, but uh, some, somebody, somebody wrote Edward wrong, I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe I would like him if I read the books. I haven't actually read the, the books. <clears throat> um... But yeah, basically anything Daniel Sharman's done. But I think Troy is my favorite because Troy is just psychologically so screwed up. Um, and I don't want to like, I don't want to give too much away because if seriously, if you haven't gone and seen it, it's October. Go watch. You just watch season three. Just watch season three of Fear of the Walking Dead. And it's just brilliant what they do with his character. T- to make you feel so empathetic toward him and yet so much like oh my gosh if I ever met this person in real life I would just like run in the opposite direction um except me we we would settle home and settle down and have a have a wonderful family in the middle of the apocalypse (laughs) in in the middle of a zombie apocalypse yep in the middle of a zombie apocalypse um what about you what's your what's your favorite one huh um Huh. I I think I think probably my favorite one is actually uh it Roy Roy Kent from from Ted Lasso. Oh yeah yeah. He 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 seems. I mean he seems really really balanced across those those three three elements. Like he's definitely dangerous. Like nobody would ever want to cross him. He's he's a he's a, like a hard man, uh, as they would say in in English football. Um, and he definitely goes through like several rounds of like being lost, right? Where he kind of loses his identity as a football player and then he's not like sure who he is. And, um, you know, his relationship with, with Keeley kind of goes through some, some elements where he's, he's not really sure of himself or sure what to do. Um, and, you know, and he's kind of helping out his raise his niece, and he doesn't know what to do about that or how to interact with her. Um, but he's but he's such a puppy, like he's such a loving boyfriend. He's such a great caring uncle. Um, there's a recent episode where he hugged Jamie Tart, uh, who's like his mortal enemy, but he saw that he was in need and he went and he hugged him, and it's just like, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way, I think that's why Dangerous Lost Puppies get us so much, is because when they do do something that's an act of selfishness, selfless, selflessness, not the other kind, um, like when they do take that step where they kind of discover themselves or they do something that's that's really, really endearing and sweet, because you're not used to seeing them in that place, it's such a flood of emotion. Um, to, to so gratifying and so rewarding and so lovely to see them see them do those things and maybe that's why dangerous lost puppies are so appealing yeah I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about that as we sort of sort of wrap up I was thinking kind of you know obviously we have the stereotype of like women being attracted to bad boys and and your argument that they're really attracted to dangerous lost puppies which is a little bit more nuanced obviously but I wonder you know does it does that work for um, homosexual couples, you know, would, would a guy see a dangerous lost puppy character if they were homosexual and be attracted to that? Does it, does it work with, with girls? Can girls be dangerous lost puppies? Um, and therefore does, you know, does that work with, with lesbian couples? (laughs) Yeah, that, that's a lot of really great questions. Um, and I'm not even sure I can answer them all because, you know, I don't think, well, I'll, I'll try to, I'll try my best. And then I might have to say that like, well, I need, I need to do some more research. That is, that is a lot to think about. Um, I think girls can definitely be dangerous lost puppies because 
realistically, most anti-heroes are dangerous lost puppies. And because of that, you know, anytime you're looking at an anti-hero, regardless of the gender, there's there's a chance that that's, that that's what's going on there. Right. So, like, Natasha Romanoff, then, she would be a dangerous lost puppy. Oh, yeah. 100%, right? Um, you could you could make a good argument for Harley Quinn, right? So um, there's there's definitely there's not a ton. I don't think it's as I don't think it's as plentiful as the 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 male variants. Um, don't come after us, TVA. Um, but the 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 you know the males that that are out there as dangerous lost puppies. Obviously, there's a lot more of that character archetype. But yeah, anytime you create an antihero there's a pretty good chance you're making a dangerous lost puppy. So there's definitely female characters out there that are dangerous lost puppies. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, they, they definitely, they definitely have appeal. I, I think, I don't, I don't know. I don't, probably nobody knows since this is not an archetype that's terribly well studied in general, but I don't know, you know, like if you're, if it's a, if it's a heterosexual if you're somebody who's attracted to the to the opposite um, sex, gender, um, sex assigned to birth gender, if that if that means you're more likely to like a dangerous lost puppy versus versus somebody who's attracted to the same sex, or if it's you know that level of attractiveness is different for males or females, I, who the heck knows? Um, I ha- I would have to do more research on that, but I think that 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 attraction we have to somebody who who has those three components is really really high and to be honest I'm not a hundred percent percent sure why that's the case why we are so very very much attracted to well I mean I I guess the easiest explanation is to say that like do you want do you want a significant other that can protect you um, that could potentially protect protect your offspring or other members of your family. Like, do you want somebody who's tough enough to kill the spider and chase the chase the robber out of your home? Yeah, probably. Right. Uh, do you want a significant other who is emotionally damaged? <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of ridiculous, but one of the things that, that they've talked about, kind of the rise of anti-heroes, right, which are really popular um, and have been popular for quite a long, long time now in media, is that, look, we're all screwed up. We're all a mess. You know, you don't want to be in a relationship with somebody who's perfect. You want to be in a relationship with somebody who has at least at least equal, you know, quality or quantity of stuff wrong with them you know not the not the same categories preferably um you know but you want people who understand what it's like to struggle and understand what it's like to try to work through their identity and 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 do those things and and like we talked about it's really rewarding when a character has that spark of oh I know who I am and I know where I belong um so I think there's a real element of kind of empathy there and I think you know kind of stereotypically for women also we we like to take care of things. Um, and so there might be an element that we think that, you know, well, if we were in that relationship, we could um, we could improve. We could improve that character. Like, I, I probably think that I could fix Troy. I mean, I, I, I can't. Like, he's real screwed up and I don't have the certificates. But right, like in our fantasies, like kind of that's what we're thinking is that like we can we can save that person. And we know that's a very, very dangerous uh, thing to go into a relationship with. So so do you think like that that's something that, you know, trying trying to want to fix these people? Do you think that's something that shouldn't be portrayed with these kinds of characters? (sighs) I mean, I think that's really hard because as we just talked about a lot of that. A lot of the elements of them being lost or them being a puppy really comes from their interactions with other people. Um, it screws them up and it kind of saves them. And while I don't think that necessarily having a relationship with another person is something that can save you as an individual, 
Like that's often a bridge too far and we often get into relationships with the wrong idea because of that. When you talk about character development, like how else do you get a character to develop, to develop, right? You can't like stick them in a box and they're going to come out a better human being. Like that's not how human beings work. So, um, so even though, yeah, it does lead to this assumption that we can like save these really screwed up characters. Um, I do still think it's worthwhile to, um, I, I don't see how else you're going to get around that. Like as a, as a writer and as an avid TV movie watcher, like I think, I think you're stuck there. So yeah. And then who doesn't want a puppy? I mean, come on, unless you're a cat person and then I don't know what to tell you about your life. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, like if you came right down to it, I don't, I don't think you want Loki as your soulmate or, or Troy or Edward or Spike or like all of these characters are, they, they need a lot of therapy. Um, so ultimately I don't think you want to be pair bonded to a dangerous lost puppy. Um, you know, they're they're impulsive and they have divergent thinking and um but but you know they are they're very helpful to have in the gene pool and um like i said if uh, if i have to fight off if i have to fight off zombies i it's it's me and troy man against the world and if there's going to be an apocalypse i want dean and you know i i just there, there's definitely a time and a place for dangerous lost puppies, and I'm glad mostly they live on our screens, although I, I'm very confident there are dangerous lost puppies in real life. You probably don't want to date, date one. If you if you find one, proceed with caution. Um, be prepared to be in a lot of group, um, a couple's, couple's counseling. But, but yeah, I, I don't think they're going to leave our literature anytime soon, and I definitely can guarantee you the next one that the world kind of becomes besotted with uh, they're going to be a dangerous lost puppy. So there you go. Well, thank you uh, for joining for joining us and talking about dangerous lost puppies. Um, I've been H. Miller and you've been listening to Because of This and That. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, definitely come let us know about us. You can find me on uh, all of the socials at H. Miller Writer. And you can find me on my website at hmillerwriter.com. And we'll be back uh, in the not too distant future. Maybe with somebody who isn't me as the uh, as the guest presenter, we'll we'll see. I do have friends. I swear it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, everybody have a wonderful, wonderful existence. All right, bye.